Well, what's your favorite sport? What sport do you like better than any other? Well, uh, I'm sure we'll get different answers if we went around the room. Some might express very little preference, but some of us have some, you know, sports that we really like to watch. And maybe given occasion, some of you still would like to play some of those sports. And some of you young fellas are engaged in sports, and some of you young ladies are as well. Uh, we love sports. We love to play and watch sports. And really, whatever sport you like, it's, it's probably going on right now. You know, we just ended the Major League Baseball season with the World Series a few weeks ago, and it's just weeks away from spring training opening up. I mean, it's almost round the, you know, the calendar. Uh, there's some kind of baseball being played. Same is true as football. We're sort of in the culmination of the football season. Uh, we're getting into the bowl season and all that. And it's really an exciting time if you're a football fan, but be, the season will be over, and before you know it, it'll start right back up again. And same thing with basketball. I mean, sports, we've got sports. We've got all kinds of sports. Whatever you like, if you like to watch, if you like to play, it's there. We, we're crazy about sports, aren't we? Well, that's not a new thing. That's been around for a long time, and even... It was even true in Bible times that people were pretty enthusiastic about sporting events. And that, for that reason, it sort of makes sense that in the Bible there are a number of analogies to sports. And spiritual truths are drawn out from a, a comparison to an athletic contest. Today, we want to study a famous text that makes that kind of comparison. Our lives of service to run in a race. I'm referring to what Garrett read for us just earlier in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're going to use that, that verse and some of the phraseology in that verse to draw our lesson this morning. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. We stopped just briefly to say thank you for being here. Beautiful Lord's Day. I mean, we've been blessed to have a beautiful Lord's Day to come together to worship God. Uh, we're pleased to have a good number of people present. Uh, it's always a joy to be together with others of like precious faith. For those, any of those of you who may be visiting with us, we're grateful that you've come. We want you to know that. and We hope you'll come back whenever you can. What about this well-known verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The, the verse starts out with the word wherefore. And whenever we read a word such as that, we know a connection is being made with something that has just been stated. And actually what's just been stated is the whole 11th chapter of Hebrews. And we know that 11th chapter of Hebrews is that that chapter on faith, various great characters of faith in the Old Testament, the faith they had and, and what it provoked them to do, their faith and their obedience. And I believe that those are the ones who are described as a great cloud of witnesses. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. I think all of these famous and inspiring examples of faith in the Old Testament served as a sort of cloud of witnesses to us to verify the reality of God, uh, uh, serving God, uh, doing His will. So we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. They leave a, a notable heritage for us. Uh, their example is great and powerful. 
We are to run with patience the race that is set before us. So there's that comparison to a athletic event. We have a race. We have a race to run. And we need to understand it as such. We're in a spiritual competition. Uh, and we need to do well. We need to excel. And if we are going to excel, here's the key phrase I want to build our lesson on. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And so we're running a spiritual race. Now, if you are running a physical race, you'd want to get rid of any encumbrance that might be involved in that. Certainly, you wouldn't load your pockets up with heavy items, you know. So if you're going to run a race, you want to get rid of that weight. You don't want to carry extra weight with you. I understand that this expression may have actually suggested the idea of our body weight. Uh, you know, uh, for some of us who used to run in years gone by, we're carrying a lot more weight now. It's harder to run, a lot harder on your knees and your joints. If you're going to run a race, you need to shed that body weight. Get fit, get in shape, uh, may be implied in that expression. You need to, you, you don't want to carry extra weight, whether it's things, artificial things that you put in your pocket, or whether it be your body weight, whatever it is, you don't want to carry a lot of extra weight if you want to be a successful runner. That's the idea. And so we're running a race. This spiritual race has been set before us. We've got the testimony of a great cloud of witnesses who tell us the reality of God and all the promises of God and blessings of God. And so we need to run the race. But the key to being successful is to lay aside every weight. And you understand that the weights would be some kind of encumbrance, something that slows us down, something that makes it harder to run and run effectively. Lay aside every weight. And so our question this morning is, what is your weight that needs to be laid aside? And understand now that the weight, we're talking about our spiritual race, not a physical race. In our spiritual race, any weight is something that holds us back, something that slows us down, something that encumbers us, that makes it harder for us to run effectively, okay? I think the, I think the analogy is easy enough to see, but the question is, what are the weights that might be holding us back or slowing us down? I want to start out by suggesting simply that our own selves may be the problem. We may weight ourselves down. Because we have so many selfish interests, you know. Uh, the, the expression that is used so often these days, it's all about me. What about me? And I'm just interested in, in myself. And my focus and my attention is constantly on me. Uh, the uh, I've actually had occasion through the years, and you may have too, when you're trying to encourage someone to serve God and live faithfully, I've actually had people ask the question, well, what's in it for me? And that, that very question suggests a, an over-concern about selfish personal interest. And when we are just concerned with self, that is totally counterproductive to the life that God wants us to live, the race that we need to run. Jesus taught us that we need to forget about self. In Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, if you're going to do this, forget about yourself. 
deny yourself and take up the cross. Now, Jesus taught that. He taught his disciples that was the way it would be. But Jesus didn't teach what he was unwilling to practice. Jesus practiced this. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, beginning, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. How did Jesus view self here? Well, actually, self is found in that well-known passage a couple places. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. There's how Jesus did it. He taught that we had to deny ourselves. But he didn't teach it, expect it of others, and not do it himself. He did it himself, right? He emptied himself. He humbled himself. and was obedient to God. And so... The very first encumbrance, maybe the biggest one we all face, is just ourselves. We're just so selfish and concerned about self. Could I go back to that question that sometimes is asked? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Actually, there is an answer to that question. What's in it for you if you will deny yourself and follow Jesus? What's in it for you is a better life right now. If you live the way Jesus wants you to live, your life is going to be enriched right now. But, of course, ultimately, you'll get to go to heaven in eternity. There's a lot in it for you. But the fact of the matter is, those blessings are only realized when we put aside our selfish interests and humbly and obediently serve God. Ourselves. We hinder ourselves pretty badly, don't we? i tell you a hindrance that I think is very real in our world is entertainment. We have so much leisure time these days, far more than our ancestors ever dreamed possible. You know, it wasn't just a few generations ago when people had to were literally had to work from sun up to sundown just to eke out a living, just to have enough food to eat, just to have the bare essentials of life, a simple roof over your head, maybe one or two changes of clothes. People didn't have nearly what we have and they had to work a lot harder to get it. We now have all kinds of leisure time. And you know, I think that our leisure time and our entertainment can be a hindrance to us. It can weight us down. It, it can hold us back in this race that we're supposed to be running. When you think about entertainment, what do you think about? I, I suppose one of the things that comes to mind pretty quickly is the movies we watch, the TV shows that we watch. And so there are some things, there's some form of entertainment in which we are just spectators. We're just taking it in. We're watching it. We're bringing all that, self in, 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 all that stuff into our minds. There are other forms of entertainment that are, that are active. In other words, we get involved in them. You know, we like to go camping. We like to go hunting and fishing. We like to play golf. We, uh, other activities such as that that are active on our part. Those are great things to be able to be involved in. But if we let them, those things can become a hindrance to us. They can slow us down in what ought to be the most important pursuit is this spiritual race we're running. But I've gotten so involved with my entertainment, you know, that now I'm not getting a lot done for the Lord because I'm planning my next camping trip. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the next hunting trip. I'm, I'm, I'm making plans for my next vacation. And I'm taking my vacation. And 
Those things slow me down spiritually when I don't keep them in right perspective. You know, one of the biggest distractions along this line of entertainment these days is these, is electronic media. Did you know that the average American, this is the average American, the average American spends three hours and 35 minutes a day on his mobile, his or her mobile device. Can you grasp that? Over three and a half hours. That's the average American. You know about averages, right? That means some are not doing that much, but some are doing a whole lot more than that. But the average American is spending over three and a half hours a day looking at his smartphone. You think that could become a weight? You think that could weight you down and keep you from being able to run your spiritual race like you ought to be running? I, I would say so, wouldn't you? Anything that consumes that much of our time, our entertainment, we must be entertained. We expect to be entertained. And all of that just weights us down, slows us down in our race. Think about an application of this passage. You know this passage from Psalm 1, right at the start of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sinneth in the seat of the scornful. Stop right there for a minute. You know what? When we let this entertainment world overtake us, you know what we're doing? We're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. We're standing in the way of sinners. We're sitting in the seat of the scornful. If we allow that to preoccupy us, we're doing exactly that, right? But notice what it goes on to say. But his delight, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. We're not doing much of that. We're not doing much meditating on the law of the Lord day and night. Because we're all consumed with our entertainment and our mobile devices. And they're just eating us up and weighting us down. We, if we want to be blessed, there's, there's information here. Where does the blessing come from? Making your delight in the law of the Lord and meditating on it. We, sadly, we are not doing much of that and it's, it's holding us back. And so I think our entertainment can be a weight that weights us down. What about our worldly possessions? We talk about this a lot. Uh, but the question is, are we paying attention? We know what the Bible says, right? I'm not revealing any new news to you here. We know what the Bible says and all the warnings it gives us about covetousness and materialism. We know the warnings. We're, we're aware, but are we paying attention? We live, we live in the richest time in the history of the world. We live in the richest country, the richest place. We are among all the history of mankind, some of the most materially blessed people. I'll tell you, our possessions can get the better of us. We can come, become so focused on material things that it weights us down, slows us down. You know this warning. Jesus offered it during the, his preaching of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? He goes on to say, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot 
serve God and wealth. Now get that. Jesus didn't say, you won't be as good in serving God if you also serve wealth. He didn't say, now you can do it, you just won't do as good. He said, no, it's not even possible. You cannot serve God and wealth. We need to understand that. We need to get the warning. We need to do a lot of soul searching here. Uh, am I driven by materialism? If that's the case, if worldly possessions are such a strong focus in my life, then I'm seriously weighting myself down, and I'm not going to be able to run very well in this spiritual race. Maybe the weight that you're dealing with is some specific sin that you won't address, that you won't give up, that you won't quit committing. Um, something that I do, something that I've been doing, something that I know I should not be doing, but I'm doing it anyway, and I've not been willing to give that up. I, I haven't repented that's a serious weight. That's going to really destroy us in our spiritual race. What is it? What is it? You know. Well, when you think about sins that you won't give up, you, I think a lot of times we think about maybe habitual things, addictive sort of things, like maybe drinking. Uh, I know, I know, I should not be drinking, but you know, it's just something I do. I mean, I've been doing it for a while, and it just. I just haven't been willing to give it up. It's drinking. Or maybe somebody else says, well, maybe it's pornography, you know. I'm sorry to say, but I've allowed myself to be viewing pornography. I know it's not right, but I just just haven't given it up, you know. Uh, We think about those kind of addictive conducts when we think about the sin that I won't address or give up. I'll tell you, there's a whole lot of sins that could fall in that category. Could it be gossip? I'm just a miserable gossip. And I have been for a long time. And I know what the Bible says about that. But I just haven't, I haven't applied myself to get past that. Or maybe it's just an uncontrollable anger. You know, outbursts of rage. I just blow off the handle. I just let people have it. I mean, I just get mad and I just blow up. Well, I mean, what is it? What is this sin? that you have, that you're not willing to address. What is this that's seriously keeping you out of the race, weighting you down? Now, I want, to, I want you to know that when we have those kind of things in our lives, we, we're pretty quick to make excuses, aren't we? For instance, here's the angry man who just blows up at the slightest provocation. But he says, that's, I'm just made that way. That's just the way I am. I I, I can't help myself. Or the or the fellow who's who's viewing pornography. He says, "I, I just I can't stop. I can't help. My, I, it's, I I can't help myself. It's just what I I just do it. I don't I don't necessarily want to, but I'm just driven to it. I I can't help myself." Well, that's not true, right? The the famous excuses text is the parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 14, beginning verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet, invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. 
And so they they well, I can't come. I can't do that. Here's my excuse. You know, we remember that there were three different individuals. They gave three different excuses. But you know what the Lord's reaction to the excuse making was? He says, I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. You make your excuses. Go ahead. Go ahead and make your excuses about this sin that you're not willing to address in your life. Go ahead and make every excuse you want to make. You know what the Lord says about those excuses? It doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. You're not going to taste of my banquet. And so when we have a sin that we know that we ought to be addressing, that we ought to be repenting, that we ought to be confessing, we ought to change and do better, but we're not, we're not making the changes, know that that's going to weight you down to, to a dead stop spiritually. You're not going to be running at all now. You, the, the weight has completely brought you to a halt. Another reason why those excuses won't work is because God said you can overcome them. How often do we hear people say, I just can't. I just can't. I can't stop. I can't do better. Yes, you can. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. The passage says you can. You can say all you want to, that you just can't do better, but you can. God said you can, and you must, because if there's some sin in your life that you won't address, it's just, as I said, bringing you to a halt in your spiritual race. Could the weight that's bearing you down, could it be your friends? Lots of people through the centuries, I'm sure, have failed spiritually because they allowed themselves to continue to deal with friends who were holding them back spiritually. Uh, and so here's a person who decides to serve the Lord, but he doesn't, he doesn't sort of break ties with those friends. That, and those friends are the ones, by the way, that he had previously been sinning with, you know. These are the friends that he used to engage in immoral and ungodly contact with, uh, conduct with. But he decided to become a, a Christian, but now he hasn't broken ties with that group of people, those kind of people. A lot of times we talk to our young people about the tremendous dangers of peer pressure. We know all about that, right? And we know that our peers are a powerful influence. If we have the wrong kind of friends, they will try hard to persuade us to do the wrong kind of things. But I want to tell you, it's not just teenagers and, and young people who have that temptation. There's older people too, who are just not able to overcome the influence of the bad people that they're around. And that's a serious weight that slows us down spiritually. It's not a new problem. It's really not a new problem. In the book of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10, the wise man says, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. Solomon wrote that about 3,000 years ago. About 3,000 years ago, as a wise father would warn his son, don't go with sinners. Don't let them drag you into their activities. Don't fall to peer pressure. Are you listening? Our friends can hold us back, can be a a serious spiritual weight to us. The verse we so often cite is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. We can't let that happen to us. Could it be your friends that are the weight that's 
holding you back, slowing you down, keeping you from being the person you need to be, running the race for God that you need to be running. Finally, let me suggest, could it even be family? Could what's holding you back even be family? Are you surprised to see that on this list? I think maybe it is kind of surprising because, you know, families are special. We love our families. Families are very special. But families can become a spiritual drag on us that holds us back. I don't think that, I think that the, a, a big area of compromise in the life of many Christians is family. Family. We cave in on things that we normally wouldn't allow because it's family after all. Shouldn't be the case. If family is weighting us down, then we may have to lay aside even family relationships in order to run the race effectively for the Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, Jesus said, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Jesus said, you've got to love me more than your father, your mother, even your son or your daughter. You've got to love me more than that. And if you don't love me more than them, he says, you're not worthy of me. I want you to just notice what's just before that in this text, beginning at verse 34. Jesus said, think not, I'm come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Get that. A man's foes might end up being those of his own household. Because this man is committed to running the spiritual race and his, ho- and his family. Members of his own household are trying to hold him back from running the race. What do you do when it's, that's the case? You lay aside every weight so that you can run the race effectively. And so I think it is surprising that you would put family on that list. But that just illustrates how thoroughly this must take place. Everything, anything that keeps me from running the race like I should, I've got to lay it aside and run the race that's set before me. You see it? And so probably this last one, I think all these things are important. You can probably add to this list. But this one, I think, illustrates how thoroughly this concept must be put into application. Even family, if it's holding me back. Lay aside. Every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Back years ago, when I was in high school, trying to play basketball, we knew that conditioning was really important. You've got to be in top condition. Our coaches always stressed that. There's another boy who lived right near where we lived. And he was, he was like me. We were just... We were just barely good enough to get on the team. We were bench warmers, but we always wanted to do better. And so we would run all summer long. We would run every night. We were out running several miles on the roads. And the summer before my senior year, I decided I was going to be real smart. And I got me a set of ankle weights. And I wore those ankle weights while we ran every night. And so we'd run. We'd run two, three, four miles. When we'd get back close to home... We'd be about a quarter mile from home. That kid, he'd hit the gas and take off. And I had those ankles. I could not keep up. Man. I just I just couldn't keep up with him. I, I was drugged down by those weights. But the last week of summer, just before 
school was a start and we'd get back into cross country and we went to run one night and I left the weights off. So we ran about a mile and then I just took off. And I left that guy, I couldn't even see him. When I got back home, he wasn't even in sight. Those weights had been slowing me down. When I took them off, man, I could fly. That's the way it is spiritually. We gotta get the weights off. Take the weights off so that we can run the race. That's what we gotta do. What's your situation this morning? We've been speaking to those of us who are already Christians. Something weighting you down? Something keeping you from being the Christian that you need to be? We beg you, lay it aside. Devote yourself again to serving God faithfully. If you need the prayers of the saints, we'd be anxious to pray with you and for you this morning. If you're not a Christian yet, we want you to seriously consider obeying that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.